Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, obviously, you all know that I've been on hiatus. Obviously, last week was for a uh, actually a promo job, and I think I might have mentioned that to a whole bunch of people that I was going to be off the air for about a week or so. Um, if any of you have been on the show page or my personal page since probably Thursday night or Friday morning, you obviously know that um, today is my one and only show for the week. I've canceled all the other shows. I'm going to be off for the duration of the week. Um, and it looks like I'll be returning. Let me just take a quick peek at my schedule here, and then we can get going to speaking with Jim today. Um, it would appear as though all shows are canceled after today. We will get back on air, I want to say, the beginning part of the week. And it looks like the boss, a.k.a. me, April 10th at 10.30 a.m. I'm just waiting on confirmation for that. So I'll be on the 10th, the 12th, and the 13th of April. Obviously, that's Easter week, and then we should be able to resume a full schedule after that. I just want to take a quick second um, because I know that some of the people that are listening in today are obviously dear friends of mine and supporters. I just want to take a moment to say thank you uh, immensely, more than I can probably describe, for all of your compassion, your kindness, your listening, your understanding during this obvious, very difficult time for me. Um, My family and myself are obviously not doing very well, clearly. Um, And there's a lot of changes and a lot of difficulties going on in my home right now, which is the number one reason I don't want to be on the radio, obviously. Um, We we have a lot that we have to sort out, but I don't want you all to think that I've forgotten about you, nor that I don't appreciate your sentiments, your support, or your concern. So thank you so, so, so very much for everything. So without further ado... Let's get to the highly anticipated interview this morning with Jim. I would try to pronounce his last name. I'm going to make him tell me how to pronounce it so that I don't screw it up. So without further ado, let's get Jim on the line. Good morning, Jim. Hi. How are you, Cindy? <laughs> well, I was talking there for a wee bit. I just had to get a few quick things in before I started on the show. Um, you're my one and only show this week, so um, hopefully I'm it'll very, be a good one. I'm very privileged and honored <laughs> to be there. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for kind of uh, getting, uh, just being diligent uh, to my listening audience, just so you folks know, we had originally scheduled an interview that I had asked someone to postpone for me once. And of course, he never got the memo. And so he kind of came back and I was like, oh, this is wonderful. We get a chance to reconnect, talk to one another. <laughs> I think you folks will be very impressed by him. Uh, he's a big deal. You know, I like to have big deals on my show. Um, and that's my personal opinion. There's just so much to cover and so much to talk about. So I'm going to kind of bounce around all over the place. I'm not the traditional interview type, meaning I like to talk about all sorts of different things, not just you as, as the professional, but you as a person, obviously. Um, so I want to talk off. I want to start talking backwards, to be honest with you, because I'm fascinated. I see that you're going to be doing a film about the life and the art of Martin Landau, and Martin Landau is is a legend, at least in my eyes and many others, I should say. So, talk to me a bit about um, creating a connection with him and what made you want to do such a project. Well, you know, uh, he's been a good friend of mine for about twenty years, and uh, people have been asking him for the last ten years. Uh, to do a documentary about his life. And um, I started joining that uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, and he kindly said yes about six months ago. (laughs) So uh, we interviewed him, and we've already interviewed Sally Kirkland, the Oscar-nominated actress, Uh, Ellen Burstyn, Burstyn and Woody Allen, who never gives interviews. Oh, my gosh. we hope to interview Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, Jeff Bridges, um, um, Matt Damon, um, and a host of other people. Um, he's a very beloved, beloved actor. And what a lot sure. of people don't know about him is that, you know, he really was had a kind of a zealot-like presence 
in uh, the film and entertainment history. He was best friends with James Dean. He dated oh Marilyn gosh. Monroe. His first break was North by Northwest, directed by Hitchcock, and opposite Cary Grant and Eva Marie Saint. He was in so many shows in the late 50s, early 60s, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Gunsmoke, you name it, Get Smart. And uh, he had the most successful TV show in the 60s, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mission Impossible. And then on in the 70s, he did, went on to do a sci-fi show that still has a huge fan base until today called Space mm-hmm. 1999. And then... Um, in the uh, late 80s and 90s, he did three films in a row that all got him Oscar nominations. He did Tucker, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, opposite Jeff Bridges. He did Crimes and Misdemeanors for Woody Allen, opposite Angelica Houston, both of which he won Oscar nominations for. And then uh, his film, Ed Wood, that he acted for famed director Tim Burton, opposite Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. won an Oscar for him. And since then, he's done a number of... Uh, is one uh, I mean nominations for a number of shows, including Entourage. He just did a wonderful film by the famed Canadian director Adam Goen called Remember, opposite Chris Plummer. So he's still working, and he's just a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful man. I imagine so. I mean, he, he's one of those character that, actors that I. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's you know what I, I think one of the things that also drove me is that it wasn't just a bio documentary he's a very wise and philosophical man and so there will be uh life advice and and acting advice and and throughout this not and and then i find that you know another it'll be deeper than your usual uh biographical documentary nice now, I was going to ask, I, I guess I'm intrigued because most of us that actually have seen the body of work that he's composed over the course of time, look at him and I think to myself, I would almost be a, very intimidated as well as intrigued to be in a room with him because he look, his demeanor most oftentimes in front of the camera is extremely intense and very serious. So I guess I'm curious to ask you, as, as a person who's been in front of him and met him, et cetera, is he seriously that intense? Because frankly, he kind of scares me. I'm not going to lie. I love him, but he's frightening. You know what I'm saying? Just the look, the body, the, the presence. I think most actors of his stature are very intense. Um, in, uh, but in, you know, uh, and I want him to be intense because it's better for the camera. It's better for the shoot. Sure. Uh, sure. But in real life, uh, they're just very, they have to be just very deep and, and, and real and authentic. And uh, he ha- he's a, just a joy. He's a real pleasure. Mm-hmm. Just, just a wonderful, oh, wonderful man. person. That's wonderful to yeah. hear. Oh, I'm so excited yeah. about this. This is awesome. And he deserves a day, Thank you know, to, to literally have an entire spotlight shed on him is is just amazing to me because I think that some of the Hollywood – I mean, if I, if I had the time to do it with Sally Kirkland because I speak with her on and off, and, and she's, she's a doll. I mean, I absolutely adore her, and she's Hollywood royalty too, and I say to myself, these icons should be recognized in a much larger fashion. So kudos to you for wanting to do a project like that. It's very Thank impressive, you. and, and, it's, and it will Thank stand you. out, I believe, amongst other projects <clears throat> for obvious reasons, certainly. Now, Thank you very much. I want, 
Oh, of course. I want to switch gears a little bit because, of course, to those that are listening in, obviously, of course, this fine gentleman here went to two places, educationally speaking, Cornell University and the London School of Economics. Now, I know you've got a degree in industrial and labor relations, so obviously, forgive me for being odd and thinking this question isn't off the bat here, but here's a guy in industrial labor relations and then ultimately ends up being a writer and a producer and doing film, etc. So that's kind of a big turn, obviously, to do from this, this part in one side of your life and then all of a sudden now you are where you are. So talk to me a little bit about the progression of, of being in that particular field and then flying over here over to the film side of things. How did you end up getting where you are? Well, I already, uh, you know, at that time I wanted to be an actor and my parents wouldn't support me, an Ivy League mm-hmm. education for someone who wants to be an actor. So I had to choose a school. Uh, there were three schools at the time that you could get like an Ivy League education for half price. And a uh, school of industrial and labor relations was one of them. And, I really uh-huh. was so happy I went there because uh, I was able to act in about eight plays and directed a couple while I was there. So I certainly okay. uh, studied with great people from the theater department, even though I was in a different major. But I learned a lot of uh, at the School of Industrial Labor Relations. I learned how to negotiate. And if you're mm-hmm. a creative professional or an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to negotiate. And so I learned how to negotiate. I learned how to uh, communicate well. I learned how to market a little bit. Um, and I learned about psychology and economics in that major. So it kind of it really did end, end up really did preparing, preparing pretty well for what the actual day-to-day business uh, of being a creative entrepreneur. Did you enjoy your time, obviously, in the regular, you know, when it comes to white collar, as far as industrial and labor relations? To those that might be listening in, I'm always a big supporter of, hey, maybe you should think about this career, this this sort of profession. Is there something to be said about working in that field? I'm just curious. You're probably the only person I've ever interviewed with this sort of background. <laughs> I didn't really work Honestly. that much in that field. I I, I got okay. I got a degree in that field. It was part, it was obviously it's a source of many executives and human resources or industrial relations or personnel management departments of corporations. But it, for, it's also a, a kind of a pre-law major. A lot of my friends are lawyers who went to this major. Ah, um, gotcha. And uh, um, for me, it was just a, it was just a stepping stone to to working in the entertainment business. But there were again classes on collective bargaining, you know, between unions and management, mm-hmm. and and that those classes really helped me learn understand the ins and outs of negotiating. Well, I imagine, definitely. Um, And the other really neat thing that I thought was, obviously, I like the fact that you, as well as I, I'm obviously a current journalist and you're a former journalist. So um, every time I talk to a journalist, it's either a really great experience or a bad experience, meaning some are on the fence and they're like, oh, you know what, I absolutely loved it, except this and this and this, because sometimes journalistic freedom isn't as much as or as often as we'd like it to be. And on the other side of the fence, some people kind of regret leaving the profession and wanting to go back. I was curious if this is something you would ever venture back into, because obviously you're still writing, you're not really being a journalist of sorts, you're more of the film side things now, but would you consider that, did you enjoy your time or that journey being a journalist? I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it, and, and I, I love learning. You know, I think, you know, one of the themes of my book is to keep on learning, you know, keep on improving, mm-hmm. and so uh, don't stop learning. And, you know, I think a field like when one is a journalist, they're constantly learning about things. You know, they're, oh, yeah. they're, it's not, they realize how, think, how complex the world is. It's not, 
black or white. It's not. Di- it's very dilemmatic. It's very complex. And well, I um, agree with you. I I enjoyed I enjoyed it immensely. And you know, any excuse to write would be great. Hmm. I just haven't. I, I've done some travel journalism a little bit. I've done, um, mm-hmm. but, but primarily I'm writing about things that are of interest to uh, the readership for this particular book, uh, creative professionals, act, r- aspiring, working, and successful creative professionals, and, and entrepreneurs, uh, you know, whether they're actors, directors, producers, writers, singers, comedians, journalists, authors, you name it. There are 25 million people in America who have some type of creative dream. And the question is, what are they doing about it? That's what I always say. I'm like, if you have that dream right. out there, it can either sit there or you can either make a dream into a reality, clearly. Um, and I love interviewing right. people that take their dreams and make them into realities. It's absolutely awesome. That's, um, spe- that's right. Speaking of journalism, get this. I think it is so cool because I found that you were featured in the Huffington Post. And I thought that that was so cool because even I haven't made it to the point where I actually wrote for the Huffington Post or was talked about in the Huffington Post. I'm like, how awesome is that? That must be a killer accolade for you. Well, I, 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 it's it's a it's a troubled subject for me because I really didn't follow up with as many. I like to do more posts for the Huffington Post, and I I love writing uh, for IndieWire. Uh, I just sure. haven't had the time. I like to do more about it. I probably would do some more posts in the area of my book, Beyond the Craft: What You Need to Know to Make a Living Creatively. Right. Um, you know, I I really like uh, encouraging and helping uh, my fellow creative professionals. Uh, a lot of them are stuck. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to get to the next level. And the beginners or students don't know how to get to the first level. So sure. my whole book, is, the whole point of my book is how to get to the next level of your career without solely relying on others, other gatekeepers, agents, managers, right. producers, what have you. And that's sure. the whole theme of my book, how to be proactive, how to make things happen on, on your own and not rely mm-hmm. on other people only. Exactly. No, I agree, definitely, without a doubt. Um, since we're on the topic, now I'm curious. Of all the different writings that you've done, obviously, tell me what you prefer, meaning what type of genre, what sort of thing, meaning is it a script versus a regular poet, uh, play, etc. I'm just curious of your body of work as it relates to your writing side of things. I love writing comedy screenplays or romantic comedy. <laughs> really? I love writing. Yeah, that's my – I like those two things, Um and uh, it's just fun to, to to laugh and and you know I like amusing people with my writing, like making them laugh, and I like mm-hmm. emotionally connecting with people. Um, so two of the films I've done, Passionata, uh, mm-hmm. which was a romantic comedy set in New England about two immigrants, kind of timely actually, about two immigrants falling in love, um, set in the backdrop of a very of an area called New Bedford, which is an old Wellingtown where Moby Dick was set. Um, <laughs> and it's also 70%, it's called New Beige, and 70% Portuguese. So set in the backdrop gotcha. of the Portuguese, the Portuguese immigrants in America, which has never been done in a film before, my film Passionata. So the fir- it was the first film to feature Portuguese immigrant Americans, mm-hmm. and it was the first film to feature Fado music, a Portuguese soul. Nice. Very soulful and stirring Portuguese music called Fata. It's a whole different musical type, Fata music. And I gotcha. um, um, that was wonderful to do research, to go there. The kind of film kind of wrote itself after doing research. I didn't have a 
preconceived story. I had an outline, but I didn't really have a preconceived story. And it kind of, the research led into a film. And it came out with uh, Seymour Cassell, Teresa Russell, Jason Isaacs, and uh, we created a new star, Emmy Rossum, who's now the star of Oh, Game nice. Was. And uh, it was re- released in 150 countries. So to, to create something like that, to write, it, it's a wonderful feeling. And oh, that definitely, without a and, and that connects with people emotionally. And another film I did called M.E.M. is a raw, yeah. moving film about mental illness. It's a romantic drama. And, again, uh, you know, uh, connecting with the audience in an emotional way is, is very satisfying to me. Oh, I imagine so. Now, you have not done plays as of yet? I, that was going to be my other inquisitive I've only done, inquiry. I haven't written plays. I, haven't, I, I okay. want to write a play. But... Um, mm-hmm. I've directed a lot of theater, but I haven't written any plays. No, I gotcha. Okay, got it. I'm just trying I've to get a little people. introspect here. I've helped. Oh. I've helped people with uh, uh, you know rewrite or, or revise plays. Uh, you know, obviously it's very dialogue driven. Very, it's all about right. dialogue. You know, if you don't draw, sure. if you don't write dialogue well, it's, you know, you're not going to be a playwright. It's it's all dialogue, and there's not as much oh, action. Right. Yeah. Whereas well, the other question so being of. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Film is so much more of a visual medium, so you're really creating what, what, what you know. What, the, what is the audience going to see? Um, but yeah, um, I'm still doing all this stuff. I'm still doing writing and rewriting assignments. But you know, uh, I had been doing workshops for about 15 years around the world, and one of those workshops was about creative career success, a creative entrepreneurship, and that led to this book. Gotcha. I see. Now I want to. just came out. I want to step back a little bit because I know that you mentioned something about obviously you do script analysis. That's one of the things that you do, and I assume that you also provide editing services as well. So I want to ask a question. In your opinion, meaning because you obviously have experience in this area, and I'm certain that people listening in are authors of some type all over the place. So if you were to advise, as it stands right now, and someone's writing a screenplay or they're putting together a film or even just a short, um. Give us a couple of tips in terms of some of the things that you routinely find when you're analyzing a script or otherwise that, that are more repetitive habits that maybe we should get out of. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of some of the, the signals that you see that maybe people should avoid when they are putting their masterpieces together. That's a fabulous question. Um, uh, number one, you're in the entertainment business. So mm-hmm. you need to entertain us. Right, so you can do anything you want. You did. A lot of people feel the need to uh, kind of put filler kind of dialogue and filler scenes. No, 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 no. You need to enter, you need to dazzle us. You need to entertain us. Right. So you, sure. a lot of people want to get start the scene from the beginning when the person knocks on the door. They walk in. You don't need to do that. You can stop the scene as late as possible. Stop the scene as late as you can and get out as early as you can. Okay. You don't need to. Sh- we don't need to see natural time from beginning to end. We don't need to see that. Hmm. You are the lens for us as the writer, and you can we can get in, we can go right to the you know right to the interesting stuff. We don't need greetings or filler or we don't need to see the entire scene. That's one thing. The second thing is writing is hard. Good anybody can write a screenplay. To write a good screenplay is difficult and. One has to be a cliche detective, a cliche buster. So in each of our minds are literally 
thousands of hours of films and TV shows. And the first thing that's going to come to the first thing that's going to come to the first thing that's going to come to our mind are cliches. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we have to fight those. So it may not be the first idea, maybe the sixth idea or the seventh idea. We've got to be a cliche buster. We have to fight cliches. Uh, so that's another thing. You know, we, we want to be unpredictable. Sure. We don't want someone. We don't, when we're writing something, we want. We don't want someone to be able to see the end from the beginning. We want to yeah. give them twists and turns and surprises. And so, as a writer, you have to create those twists and turns and surprises. <laughs> and so, uh, and in order to do that, you have to bust cliches. In other words, what we expect to happen, you got to take us off a cliff. That makes any sense. It does. It makes perfect sense, as a matter of fact. That's kind of why I wanted you to speak to that a little bit, because I know even I, as a writer, have been writing for a long time, but oftentimes I'll go to other authors or advisors and say, hey, would this work? Does this, you know, how does this go? How does this go? It's always good to get feedback from another person. I think it's healthy, and sometimes I think less is more, and I, and I find things out just by reading or looking at other people's writings, etc. I think it's a, it's a very interesting, fascinating process. Yeah, I take that. I, I do script analysis for a lot of people around the world, and I take that very seriously because, you know, I want to um, make their voice continue, make them their voice come alive. I don't want to impose my voice on them. Sure. I don't want them to become a clone of me. They have a particular hmm. set of experiences. I want them to use their life experiences, their their to to, to write the most interesting thing possible. So it's it's about kind of it's it's kind of helping them get to that point. And so you've got to be respectful of their, what is their voice and what are they sure. trying to say and not impose how I would do things on them necessarily. Sure. Every um, person's different. Right. Right. Um, and uh, what else? Um, yeah, too long. Things are just too long, you know. In the, in the, in the right. tsunami of data we're we're experiencing with technology, people's you know people's attention spans are decreasing by the hour. So you know, right. You want to make entertainment as short as possible, basically. That's my feeling. I like. That. I mean, I I do. So when I, like I read that. when I read scripts that are 140 pages, I, I, are you serious? You know, maybe if you're an <laughs> Oscar-winning director, maybe if you're Ridley sure. Scott, fine. But uh, right. if you have any, if you want any hope of, and also just another thing I advise is 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 just connecting to the marketplace. I mean, there sure. now now with the internet, you can find out anything you want. You can find out anything you want. And, you know, see what's selling. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying to manufacture your story or your play just to sell it, but see what's selling out there, you know. So, right. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of artists, and this is a problem, they have to learn the business. And that's one of my chapters of my book, uh, learning the business. It, you got, it's not rocket science, but you've got to learn a little bit about the market. What are they looking for? What are they, what, what are they hiring writers for? So you learn certain things. For example, for your first project to be a period piece, to be like something set in the 1500s or the 1800s, sure. that's a problem because you want, you want to get in the game. You want to get a credit as quickly as you can. 
you want to get a credit as I don't care if that's a writing, directing, producing, whatever the credit is. You want to get you want to get in the game. You want to get a credit. I mean, get a credit. You want to think about probability, and it's much more probable that a contemporary story will be financed than a period piece. When I say period piece, I mean any any time you have to change the cars or whatever. You know, that's a period piece, and so that's very. Those are very hard to finance. They're very very hard. That that you know, one out of a thousand make it. Whereas contemporary, maybe one out of a hundred. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. using. I'm just trying to illustrate. It's it's much much easier to make something that's happening today than 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 do a period piece. Even famous directors like Spielberg can cannot get period pieces or uh, films set in the past financed. So these these are just basic things to consider. Should you never make that film about World War II that you want to make? No, but I just I want people to be more aware of. Uh, the probability of making certain things. That's something. Oh, of course. That goes without saying, certainly. And I also know that one of the things, because you, uh, you do a variety, obviously, of different workshops, one of the things that you talk about is making your project happen in terms of successful film and TV production and well, financing as well. Yeah. That's another workshop I do. It's, uh, um, you know, uh, making your projects happen, TV slash film financing, producing and financing. I just... I, look, I do these things because there's no one really doing them. There's no mm-hmm. one giving people the scoop. And a lot of people have dreams out there, and they're not, a, they're not pursuing those dreams because they don't have any guidance. Sure. So I do, those, I do those because I, I, want, I want to encourage people to make things happen and not wait until some fancy, you know, Martin Scorsese wants to do your film. No, just make it happen. Now the web the web web series are a great way to get see your writing in film to see that see, see something, even if it's a mm-hmm. short or a web series. There's that now like never before. It's cheaper to shoot things than never before, and I just want people to assemble a team, and and assemble their team and and try to make a project happen. They can do it. Well, I guess that's that's one of the questions I was going to ask because uh, I, of course, am heavily involved with interviewing directors all the time, and we talk constantly about nowadays in the year 2017, film financing mm-hmm. has changed a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah. there's far more mediums out there, et cetera. So in your personal opinion, and as a filmmaker as well, what do you find to be fiduciarily most profitable, meaning – do we stick with a crowdfunder? Some people swear by the Kickstarter. Some people swear by private financing, uh, you know, and, you know, getting your celebrity producers on board, et cetera. What have you found to be most successful in your realm or, or something you would advise to maybe a listening audience member who is becoming an indie filmmaker? Where do they begin on that path to making sure that financially they're able to make their project successful? Well, wow, that's a very good question. I, I Thank look, you. You know, I have, I have, I wrote an article for Huffington Post and IndieWire about six, uh, six ways to research and locate uh, film financiers. Uh, I, I suggest people read that article. Uh, basically, they have to. Each project uh, is 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 different, so it's hard to generalize. But basically, you want to think about when you're looking for financing. You want to think about. Um, who would be happy that this project is made? So who would be happy about it? Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing a film that shows the beauty of the great state of Wisconsin, <laughs> who would be happy about it? How about other people who live in Wisconsin who want to show up how beautiful it is? 
Sure. Um, you know, again, it's it's finding thinking about who would be happy if this project was made and going to them. And that's why films that have, have niches are much easier to finance. If I'm doing a film about wakeboarding, hello, I'm going to go to wakeboarding or sporting enthusiasts who would be happy to see a film about wakeboarding. Uh, of course. It's about finding that niche that would be happy uh, or, or, or would go to your film. And that's where you'll find the investors from that, those groups. Nice. Very nice. That's one now thing. That, Crowdfunding okay. is very specific. Crowdfunding, it's very, very specific. Usually crowdfunding films are in between the fifteen dollars to $30,000 range that, that, that succeed. When you're going for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you better have some celebrities involved. Sure. Uh, who, yeah. Um, but otherwise, crowdfunding, you know, it's all, it depends on the budget. depends on the budget. And a crowdfunding is a full-time, it's not something you post and leave it there. Crowdfunding requires right. a strategy involving a team of people who will be posting things nonstop, 724, for a month. So you need to have a whole team in place. So, you know, Frank's going to do 12 to 8 a.m. Sam's going to do 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Cindy's going to do 4 p.m. You know, you, got people, you, got, you want to have a number of people on it. 724 from beginning to end. You Which is a lot, a, <laughs> a lot of maintenance. Well, right, and that's just it. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of maintenance, and you have to have a lot of passion, of course. And then there are those who, who subscribe. And again, I'm curious on your take on this as the expert. Sometimes people truly believe that there is no no way and there is no substantial or significant means by them to have a successful film minus having some form of that celebrity factor in it. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that in terms of does a person have to go out and recruit just sizable dollar amounts to get a celebrity, even if it's a, what they call a B-list celebrity, so to speak, in order to succeed with that film, period? It's a tough question. You know, basically... Uh, the way I described it, if you're going to make a film that's going to cost more than 200000 you need to have some kind of name involved. Gotcha. Okay. Basically, two to 300000 You're going to have, if it's, if it, a lot of people are making films for 50000 And so they don't need a name. But those, there are also certain genres where it doesn't matter. So if you're doing an action adventure or an action thriller or a horror film or a, even a sci fi film, it's not as mm-hmm. important to have a name for those genres. They have their own specific types of names. It's funny, uh, but they're more the less expensive than you than the kind of name you need to open a comedy or a drama. Um, gotcha. Generally speaking. Got it. Okay, that was just to get some insight there too, because obviously there's there's some debate about that, and clearly it depends, as you're saying, on the genre. Too. Well, a lot of yeah. I really, I want people to make stuff happen. So, you know, if they can do a feature, first feature film for 50 or 100 grand and just finish it, that it makes it much easier to get that name for the second film or the third film. Sure, um, sure. A lot of people play the name game and they're waiting to get this big, big actor and it just never, 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 never happens. And so it can be, unless, you, unless there's people on your team that have attracted that kind of level of talent before, it's very hard to be absolute, come from nowhere and get those kind of celebrity names. It's very hard to do I that. I imagine. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. 
Now, I want to flip over on the TV side of things because I, I just spoke with somebody, actually. I, I read a pitch, I, or their pilot, rather. I, they came to me, and I read this pilot, and I thought, this is a really great question for Jim, so let's ask you. Oftentimes, I find many people come across with absolutely wonderful ideas, but they want to pitch it to television, and I think, personally, television is harder than film in terms of getting anywhere. So can you talk a bit about, you know, what can you advise individuals if they're sitting here and they're interested, they've got a great idea, they want to pitch something, is it really that difficult? Because I'm finding from the feedback I get is that that's the, the hardest medium to really break into is television. Wow. Um, again, these are generalist, generalized answers. But generally sure. speaking, yes, it's harder to break into TV, I think, than film. Because film, there are a lot of film festivals and you can get things made. Sure. And if it's good, it's going to rise. Um, but TV... You could have the greatest idea. First of all, I think reality shows are an opportunity for new people to break in because they may know a group of people or a type of something that could be very interesting. So there has been new people who have broken in with reality shows as well as fictional. But basically you need to, at some point, you need to um, write a pilot or get that pilot rewritten. I sometimes rewrite uh, TV pilots for people to get it to a level of professional level. Uh, the second thing is uh, they have to, uh, one of my main things of Beyond the Craft, what you need to know to make a living creatively, my book is assembling a team. And so uh, you have to reach out to people who have been to the circus before, who have done this before, who have a bigger track record than you, who have a bigger network than you. Reaching out those people to be part of the team is important for TV. Now, have you found, now in your experience, this is the other thing, of course, obviously, too, because I know that another one of your workshops deals with the art and business of screenwriting. So this is what I'd like to ask you. Uh, Typical screenwriters that are out there, oftentimes, at least the people that I've dealt with, would you advise an individual who is currently writing a, a screenplay or, or, do, or get, trying to get into screenwriting, period, for the obvious purposes, I'm finding a lot of people are actually co-scripting together because you have one that's a novice and then you have one that's an expert. You combine the two together, you got yourself a great screenplay right there. Now, so would you advise the co-teaming ideology in terms of that sort of thing? Or have you found that people can, I don't want to say pseudo-teach themselves because I think it's a craft that you either have or you don't. But tell us a little bit about what sort of skill does it take to become a good screenwriter in your opinion? Wow. Um, I think it's important to uh, live a very interesting life. That really helps. You know, live a very interesting life. And uh, be really curious. Writers are really curious. Mm -hmm. So be constantly asking questions. And you may be a writer. Uh, Some people need to work on certain things. For example, I find that literally 95% of the scripts I read, um, the dialogue is not good enough. So I, don't, I, I, I disagree. I think you can build muscles. You may need okay. to be, have certain aptitude and talent as a writer. Yes, I agree. But you can build muscles. So like reading great novels that have exceptional dialogue uh, would help you learn what dialogue is. You know, just, but dialogue is such an important part of it. Um, sure. Um, <sighs> Story creation. 
what the, that initial story, you can write the greatest script in the world, but what I find is often the story lacks behind. So the script may be very confidently written, but the story itself is not distinctive enough. It's not interesting enough okay. to, to, be, to warrant financing. It's just not interesting enough. And that's, that's, a, that's a also skill that you can develop by assembling a team, by connecting with people who are more experienced than you. And just tr- before you spend six months to three years writing a script, do the verbal pitch. The log mm-hmm. line it should be less than 27 words. Can you say it in less than 27 words, the log line? And that's verbal pitch. Try that out in people. If they're excited by it, you may have something. If their eyes gotcha. roll over in that 27-word <laughs> or less log line, you've got a problem. Don't spend a year writing it. If you, if, if, you know, try the verbal pitch on people. And so the okay. story is so important. Hmm. 27. That's, that's not a lot of words. Wow. That's actually a great idea to tell you the truth because that should be, more, that should be enough to least capture something. Some UCLA professor figured out that the log line is, should be 27 words or less. You should have described the film in 27 words or less. I don't care if it's a high-concept studio film or independent film. Um, it's, you know, it's a certain type of writing, and it needs to be... Sure. It needs to, people either... It needs to connect to people very quickly... I, I guess I get that, obviously. That makes sense. That, that yeah. does make a lot of sense. Okay. Now, um, to take it one step further, and I, and I hope you don't mind me picking your brain, but you're on here, obviously, for a reason. So, of course, we want to get the, the best information we can from you, clearly. Um, as it relates to – we live in a world nowadays where, obviously, of course, well, Hollywood's about the highest you can get in terms of when it comes to film and things like that. You want to be recognized more in the Hollywood circle. You want to work with more of the popular people, et cetera, or the famous people, we should say, of course. So here's my question to you. Um, back in the day, it used to be um, the mentality and ideology was you need to have accredited years of school. You have to get all sorts of education. You have to get very knowledge and versed in what you're doing. Now, again, to the listening audience, is it in their best interest to get as educated as possible in the field that they're going to be in? Because we live in such a world nowadays where life experience really becomes the life lesson, in which case you can become more successful even without that background. So would you suggest an individual goes to an established school, gets a whole lot of background of whatever it is, whether it's screenwriting, whether it's filmmaking, et cetera, or do you think it's possible that they might take a life lesson just by an experience and jumping in that water and saying, hey, I may not be as educated in this field, but I'm sure going to give it a go with the, you know, with the goals and the passions I have? That's it. Uh, look, you know, my, my mother, Beverly, uh, my late mother was a guidance counselor and helped thousands and thousands of poor college, uh, high school students get into college. Sure. I'm not going to diss college. I think it's a great, I think it's great for a, sure. a, a, a balanced education. But now these colleges are 60 grand a year. That's $240,000, some of these colleges. Mm-hmm. So it really makes you think, I mean, does it mean anything in today's market having a degree? I, I don't know. Right. I, I, think, exactly. I, I think, you know, for the arts, I like people to be more balanced. The reason I wrote this book is, is because successful artists or writers or actors or producers or directors, 
need to understand the business. And there are thousands of books about acting, directing, writing, and I found zero books, nada, nothing, about the creative business, about creative entrepreneurship. That's why I wrote this book. And so I'm using the same, I, I created my own philosophy, uh, strategy, and even vocabulary to convey what I learned you know, from making a living myself for th- over 30 sure. years to people. And um, um, I, I, uh, I think it's very important for people to learn business skills, basic business skills. I think basically to be a successful creative professional, you need to learn how to be a creative entrepreneur. And so you need any courses about entrepreneurship, negotiating, sales, marketing are very, very important. And I think a lot of the film and the theater disciplines and other artistic disciplines are too much about the craft. And then they have their degree and they don't know what to do. And that's another reason I wrote this book. I want people to have an idea of how to be your own agent, how to be proactive and not rely on other people. So business component, a business component to it is very, very important. People should, even if they want to be a dancer, whatever, artist, musician, whatever they want to do, a visual component is very, very important. Gotcha. I see. Uh, and since, yeah. Uh, no, I gotcha. Now, since you, of course, spend a great deal of your time mentoring and speaking to other individuals and passing on your knowledge to them, I'm curious to ask some of the people that have really, truly motivated or inspired you personally or professionally that kind of made you the person you are today. You know, I, I, I was very fortunate because I was, a, you know, I, was, I started as a comedian and an and, and actor, and then I became an agent at one of the biggest agencies in the world, ICM, or International Creative Management. And I represented mm-hmm. Dudley Shirley MacLaine, Arthur Miller, Helen Hayes, Alan Arkin, John Chancellor. So my clients at this place really inspired me, uh, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And... You know, a number of my uh, peers or people I want to work with also inspire me. Um, I, 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 you know, I really admire people who try to, uh, uh, who, who work as creative professionals or, or attempt to work as creative professionals. They inspire me because it's, that, it's very difficult. No, uh, without a doubt. I mean, speaking of but I was inspired, is, you know, Martin Landau inspires me. Alan Arkin inspires me. You know, people like that um, who are able to integrate an interesting life with an interesting career. Oh, you betcha. And Alan Arkin is amazing. Oh, my gosh. Who doesn't love him, right? I'm like, oh, my gosh. When I saw the Alan Arkin, Shirley MacLaine, I'm thinking, Shirley MacLaine's extraordinary. I mean, they're all, you know, they just a wealth of experience and knowledge, and they live and breathe their passion, which to me is a huge deal, clearly. That goes without saying. Um Sure, let me tell you, I write about my book. I write about all these people oh. in my book. There was, so there oh, are glimpses, unwrit, unseen, unseen, unrevealed glimpses about all the, a lot of my clients. And one of the things that I write about Sheryl McLean is that she was exceptionally uh, intelligent and exceptionally smart about the business. She knew as much about the business as her representatives, as her agents and managers knew. Believe me, she sure. was aware of the business, what they're looking for, who was looking for what, what. She was really aware of it, what kind of deals to get. She knew all the business part of it. And generally speaking, people who succeed in creative professions learn the business. 
So they have to use both sides of their left and right side of their brain. Hmm. And I guess this is my question because I'm looking at your resume and I'm thinking to myself, there's nothing you don't do, by the way. So I'm curious if you could just give us an average breakdown here. So is most of your time in the public speaking realm and your workshops or no, is no, it on the no, writing no. side of things or film? Okay. No, I'm a working, I'm a working writer, director, producer. Gotcha. I didn't need to, okay. I didn't need to write this book. I'm making, I'm making, I'm working on a number of films and TV shows, developing them. I have a web series called lifeadvice.tv yes. uh, which is about uh, basically I went to senior assistant centers, assistant living centers and nursing homes and found the most dynamic seniors I could find and asked them to give me advice whether it's about family, relationships marriage, parenting happiness lo- lo- longevity, wellness and the best ones I carved into one or two minute episodes so that's li- www.lifeadvice.tv um, so that's a web series I have. So I'm involved in, in, in new media. Obviously, I'm involved in film and TV. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how I make a living. I, I do workshops. I'm doing I'm doing one in a couple, one in New York and one in San Francisco in May, for example. It's on my website, jimgermanic.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this book coming out. I want I'm publicizing it because I think it should be essential reading for certainly undergrad and graduate creative departments at universities and for all working and successful creative professionals how to get to the next level. Um, um, but that's not, that's not the main, that's not, <laughs> I'm still, in, I've been making a living for 30 years. That's what I still do. Gotcha. Okay. Got it. Just but I, have I do, I, yeah, on, yeah, on the side, I do help. Uh, if I'm between productions, whatever I do help, I, I do consulting for people or, uh, or projects. I do script analysis, I do rewriting, and I do writing assignments. Gotcha. Okay. And obviously, and I, I'm, a director, to... and I'm a director for hire, you know, depending if I really love the project. If I, sometimes I'll help produce it. If I'm directing. And per- gotcha. And your company is Command Performance Productions, which I assume is your production company? Yes. Oh, gotcha. Okay, got it. So that's the blanket under which your films are in, and obviously, of course, if you're directing or, or assisting directing, I should say, with others. I'd like to talk about, um, obviously, of course, we have M and Passionata, which you started talking about. The shorts that you've done, the homophonia and interviews gone wrong. I'd like you to talk to the listening audience a bit about the shorts, because obviously there's difference between feature film and short films. What, what drove you to, to delve into these particular subjects, and, and um, how did they fare in terms of, um, I assume that they've been released and seen, et cetera? Well, uh, Homophonia um, is a film that's a political comedy, um, and uh, it was, I did it with a wonderful actress named Mary Niedekorn. It was in 55 film festivals, and... Um, it won a bunch of them, and it was basically a, a, a political comedy about gay marriage rights. I just, uh, you know, I find there's a real lack of political comedy out there, and I, I, it was a great idea, and we made it happen. Interviews gone sure. wrong. Also, uh, you know, I was hearing, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my uh, middle age, and I was hearing um, from a lot of friends, children who are suddenly new to the workplace, to the mar- to the to the job market, how impossibly hard it was to get good jobs. And I, I, again, I, I know it's, it, it's sad, 
but I, I wanted to do uh, something that they could laugh at. So I made these silly things ah. uh, about uh, the uh, horrible experience of 20 and 30-somethings uh, trying to get uh, to do job interviews, trying to get a job in today's job market. Gotcha. I got it. And obviously, of course, clearly the audiences and uh, festivals have spoken because I see you're a prize winner at Seattle International Film Festival and bestowed the Criterion International Inspiration Award. Um, if individuals listening in happen to want to either see Passionata or M, um, are they available to be viewed as of yet? Are they still in the circuit? I oh, yeah. oh, oh, or, no, no, give us a status on that. Uh, they can they can buy it on Amazon. They can leave their uh, on there's both on iTunes. Um, um, the 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 I believe Passion on is still with Netflix. They they can be seen. Like you can buy it a used DVD for you know three dollars on Amazon. Sure. Passionata and M. There's about ten places they can buy them. Yes. Wonderful. I've got you. Now uh, you, I know that you would rather. And my book, course, you can buy it. My book. You can buy in Barnes & Noble, um, on Amazon, my book, Beyond the Craft, What You Need to Know to Make a Living Credibly. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Book Patch, in the both Kindle and paperback editions. Right. Um, and Life Advice Television, the web series itself, if folks want to listen or tune in, I should say, or be able to view it, how often is that on Episode. Uh, they can. Well, there's about six or seven episodes, and we have new episodes every month. So they just need to go to www.lifeadvice.tv, and they can check it out for free. Ah, wonderful. We like that definitely because if people are sitting around looking for something new and interesting to watch, I always try to advise. Hey, let's check this out. Definitely, it. you bet. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to go through this entire list, this very long list, I should say, of the ways to find you. Hopefully, I have not forgotten anything. Um, but you need to pronounce, please, your last name for me because I didn't say it because I don't want to. I did not sure. want to mispronounce it's, it. It's Germanic. It's J-E-R-M-A-N-O-K. So my website is jimgermanic.com. J-E-R-M-A-N-O-K. That's one. That's the easiest way to reach me. I'm also on LinkedIn. And I'm on Twitter. My, my Twitter, um, uh, it's at Get Real, Get Real, R E E L, R E E L. Get Real, Get Real on Twitter. Right. And of course, you also, yeah, all the other places that I have found, we obviously have covered the Amazon and the Kindle, bookpatch.com, lifeadvice.tv, YouTube, Goodreads, Flickster, Wikipedia, uh, IMDb, of course, which is the, the major one right there, website, which you mentioned, which is jimgermanic.com, two places on Facebook, both for Jim Germanic as well as lifeadvice.tv, and Twitter, you mentioned the at Get Real, Get Real, and Life Advice TV as well, because we don't want to forget about that. Uh, any place else, anything else we may not have covered in terms of finding you or finding your work? Uh, Germanic Vimeo. So ah. you can watch Homophonia and um, um, Interviews Gone Wrong and a number of other things on uh, pieces of my workshops. If you just go to Germanic Vimeo, you'll see there's a lot of videos that are that are that it, are not passport password protected. They they're accessible oh. and free to the public. Nice. I was just going to say yeah because oftentimes that's not always the case. So I appreciate that definitely. 
certainly. Well, my goodness, this time has gone so quick. I can't. I, it just amazes me how fast these shows go. And well, obviously, of course, a man of your stature and all the things you've accomplished, I could never cover everything within the course of less than an hour. Well, you're an, except, you're an exceptional interviewer, and any time you can Thank do this you. again, I would love it. I would oh, love that's it. awesome. Well, definitely. What you can do is obviously you know how to get in touch with me clearly because we have direct contact with one another. Kind of keep me posted <laughs> on what's going on. Every time you have something new coming out, if you want to come back towards the end of the year, because oftentimes people work throughout the year and they've got other things coming out, definitely don't be a stranger. You've got my email. You know how to get in touch with me. Um, two hours after this episode is done, uh, it'll be archived. Anybody can go back and listen to it, of course. I'll send you the link when that's recorded and done, certainly. And, and my Deepest, deepest thanks to you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you um, being patient, and, and I'm so glad we got this in. I, I really do appreciate it more than I can tell well, you. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, my dear. You have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again. Same here. Take care. Bye-bye. Good morning, folks. Or should I say was he? I don't even know where that just came from. So thank you. So first of all, thank you so much to Jim Germanic for his time. And like I said, his patience, because clearly it goes without saying we've had to reschedule more than once. So I'm so very sorry to him about that. Uh, I also did not want to forget before I go through the rundown one more time, the ways to find Jim. Um, Mark Pilati of MP Public Relations. Uh, obviously, without him, we would not have been able to coordinate this interview today. So Mark, a very big thanks to you. Thank you for your patience and all the information you provided me. To any of you who are listening for uh, if you happen to need any form of PR services, it's mppublicrelations.com. His name again is Mark Pilati. Okay, all the ways to find Jim Germanic, which is our guest today. The website is jimgermanic.com. Facebook, it is Jim Germanic, as well as lifeadvice.tv. On Twitter, it's at getrealgetreal, as well as lifeadvice.tv. LinkedIn, Vimeo, IMDb, Amazon, Kindle, thebookpatch.com. LifeAdvice.tv, YouTube, Goodreads, Flickster, and Wikipedia. Oh, my God. You could probably find him in more places than you could find me. I don't want to forget to mention the films, again, are Passionata, M, Homophonia, Interviews Gone Wrong, and uh, Ganus, which is Portrait of a Legend, all of which can be found on the Germanic video or Vimeo uh, channel, I should say. And, of course, the book Beyond the Craft, which you need to know to make a living creatively, that's on Amazon, Kindle, and the thebookpatch.com. And as he mentioned, his workshops can all be found on the website, which is jimgermanic.com, and Life Advice TV, the six episodes on either Vimeo or lifeadvice.tv. Whew, that kind of covers everybody now, doesn't it? Um, oh, wow, that was a whole lot there. But he was a whole book of information as it relates to his craft. So that's awesome. As I might have mentioned earlier today, clearly uh, today is it. Uh, today's the only show for obvious good reason because clearly, uh, yeah, <laughs> I am just not a pleasant person right now, unfortunately, and, and it sucks. Um, oh, we have somebody calling in. So for the hell of it, instead of getting off the show, let's just answer real quickly before we end the show. Hello? Hi, I wanted to speak to Jim, but I guess I missed him already. This is Ryan. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I did not realize that, actually. He did not. I, actually, he didn't warn me that someone was going to be calling in. I apologize. I did not know that. I'm so very sorry. Not a problem. I, I heard you were listing off his credits, and I looked up his IMDb page. I mean, this guy's got, he must have uh-huh. two or three pages of shorts. I mean, sure. is this guy even in SAG? What kind of fucking hack is this guy? Has he made anything that actually costs money? Is he even, I mean, is this guy even SAG eligible? What kind of loser on the program is this? There's high school kids that have done more. Oh, my God. Um, well, folks, uh, I can't really say that 
I've had that happen before. Uh, I feel terrible. Um, my apologies to my guest, and hopefully with any like at all, he will not hear that. Hopefully with any like at all, the rest of you will. Uh, will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is probably a sign that we probably should not have done this interview today. I'm not in the best place, and apparently people find a need to call my platform and uh, – make it a sounding board. So my apologies to my listening audience. My apologies in advance to Jim Germanic when he hears this. Um, thank you so much to listening audience one more time. Thanks again to all my friends and supporters out there who've been gracious enough to, uh, to help um, me through this difficult time. Uh, so, like I said, uh, I'll be back on the air. Justin Peck, 10.30 a.m. Central Standard Time on Monday. He's a, uh, uh, I'm very excited because he's a bipolar patient like myself who has gone on to survive not only his disorder, but he's gone on to make incredible, incredible things. Um, a book amongst uh, street racing and you name it, he's done it. So please tune in and support him uh, April 10th. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful afternoon and the rest of your week, and I hope to talk to you soon. Take care.